I'm terribly glad for people that know things about computers. I uh, do a PowerPoint and, well, actually that's the whole point. I don't do the PowerPoint. Rachel does a PowerPoint for me. And, uh, and then when it came here on a USB stick, Steve and Andrew had some, oh, I had some issues with my USB and um, I'm glad that we've got people like Steve and um, Andrew to help us out with those issues. Last week, uh, Garth kicked us things off with the book of James and we learnt that uh, James is uh, the author and the brother of Jesus <coughs> and he's writing to some scattered Jewish Christians around the time 45 to 48 AD and these people were living in a time where persecution was becoming more common um, um, to them and in this book of about 108 verses around half of those, 54, we find directives or imperatives or commands that James gives to the the scattered Jewish Christians and one of them is what we're uh, keeping as a theme, a sort of flavour throughout this series over the next few weeks from verse 22, Ben shared it earlier, don't just listen to God's word, you must do what it says. So what James gives us in chapter 1 is some instruction on how we should respond when it comes to trials and temptation. If we say we have faith in God, then what do people see in us that tells them we have faith in God? What do we look like when the storms of life come rolling in on top of us? And he starts things off in verse 2. Dear brothers and sisters, when, not if, but when troubles or trials come your way. What trials is James talking about? Is he, uh, we know he's talking to the, the persecuted Christians that are scattered. Um, he's talking about imprisonment. Uh, he's talking about being beaten for your faith. Perhaps not receiving a fair day's wages. Yeah, he is, yeah. He's talking about holding your sick child throughout a night with the worry and concern. He's talking about what we heard this morning, uh, maybe not finding work, employment. Might be rocking up to your work and realising the place has been shut down. You haven't got a job, it's happening a lot. How are we going to pay the next bill? These are the issues he's talking about, these trials. The Greek word that translated for trial and temptation uh, Pyrismos, and uh, I'm not, I hopefully I'm pronouncing that right. I mean, I spoke to my Spanakopita uh, supplier during the week, this <laughs> Greek bloke, and, and I wrote the word down in a box. I said, how do I say this? He's oh, Pyrismos. So, uh, look, maybe I haven't got the accent. but And it gives a meaning of proving, especially in the way of one's character or integrity. And later on, the same word is used in verse 14, which gives specific meaning to enticement to sin as in temptation. Any pyrismos or trial temptation can be a test of our faith. And we'll see this morning that when we respond to a trial with obedience to God and dependence and faith in God, we'll see that 
we will grow spiritually, that we will mature in our faith, that we'll develop and learn to depend more and more upon God. Job is an amazing example. Here is a guy that God allowed Satan to just like tear his life apart. And at the very beginning of Job, it, says, it talks about the first sort of um, trials of Job's life where he lo- loses all his cattle, his employees, his livelihood basically and, and then at the end there of chapter 1, his children were killed. I mean, I can't even imagine that place. I mean, we read it, Job, but just imagine someone this, at this day and age in that position. And here is Job and he, it says there in Job 1.20, I think it is, that he tore off his garments and fell to his knees and worshipped the Lord at this time. Saying, into this world I came naked and out of it I will leave naked. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Praise the name of the Lord. If we say that we have faith in God, then when trials come, our faith is not just spoken about, but it's put into action. What do people see in us? When trials come. When trials come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. We have to be uh, happy. We have to be happy that we're facing trials. We obviously need to just differentiate between happy and joy. Um, James is urging and commanding here to experience trials with great joy. Not the happiness that we get when your team wins by one goal and it's a free kick paid right at the end of the game like I had last night. But, but that comes and goes because next week we'll probably lose. You know, and that, It's not talking about that. Not an unrealistic jumping up and down on a Sunday morning saying, look at me, look at my life. I'm going through some of the toughest stuff but I've got a massive smile on my face. But regardless of the toughest hurdles, the toughest circumstances, understanding that God is with us, regardless of the circumstances, understanding that God's ways are much bigger and beyond our ways, and regardless of the circumstances, understanding that God's purpose for us is much greater than any sort of purpose that we could ever imagine for our lives. There's a testing, a testing of our faith. Is it our salvation being tested here? What does he mean by our faith being tested? We can hold on to the promises of the word of God that when we are saved, that we're saved by grace through faith and that no one can pluck us from the Father's hand. That's that's a promise. We're saved into eternity. But we've looked recently at Romans 
And not only have we seen that we are saved by faith, but we also have studied and looked at living by faith. And there's a life that God expects from the believer. It's a new life that we've been baptised into, that we've been brought into through the death of Jesus Christ. It's not a life that we can live by ourselves, it's a life that we can live only on dependence upon God doing it through us. And that's faith, that's living by faith. And this faith in God, this dependence upon God, James says, is to grow and mature as you experience trials that you would become more dependent upon God as you trust him more in the circumstances you find your life in. Sometime in 1871, and I'll read it so I get the facts right here, a fire in Chicago heavily devastated the city. And months before that, a man named Horatio Spafford had invested hugely in real estate by the shore of Lake Michigan. The disaster greatly wiped out his holdings and not long before the fire he had also experienced great loss of his son. Two years after the fire, Horatio planned a trip to Europe for him and his family. He wanted a rest for his wife and daughters. He had four daughters and also to assist Moody and Sankey in one of their evangelistic campaigns in Great Britain. The day in November that they were due to depart, Horatio had lost, sorry, had a last minute business transaction and had to stay behind in Chicago. Nevertheless, he sent his wife and four daughters to travel as scheduled on the SS Ville de Havre, expect, expecting to follow in a few days. On November 22, the ship carrying his wife and daughters was struck by the Lockhearn, an English vessel, and sank in minutes. After the survivors were finally landed somewhere in Cardiff near in Wales, Horatio's wife cabled her, her husband with two simple words, saved alone. Shortly after Horatio left by ship on his way from Chicago where he's four, uh, on his way to the uh, UK where his four daughters had drowned when he went past there it says that he wrote this text that when peace like a river attend my way and sorrows like sea billows roll whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say that it is well with my soul. That's dependency upon God. That's maturity. It's spiritual growth. No matter what is going on in my life, God has a purpose for it. God is working out something in your life. Dr Tom Constable uh, has this to say about the wise Christian. A wise Christian is the one who views life in light of God's word. A wise Christian is the one who views life in light of God's word. 
we, you often hear stories of um, great famine and we live in a world where there is such divide between the rich and the poor. And in this country we could so easily take for granted what we have. That's why it's great to hear you know, stories where people are just struggling and it just reminds us again to be thankful and it reminds us how much maybe we can do to help. Um, just in this church, I know there's a number of people, uh, Graham and Lee and, um, and, the, and the like, that have travelled the world and, and seen it firsthand. And often when you hear these stories, it, it can change your perspective on life, usually for the short term, but sometimes for the long term. That you start to view life in light of what you've just heard is, is going on around the world. But how often do we view life in light of God's word? How often do we view life in light of what God has called us to do, what what life God has called us to live and how he wants us to live? And so James urges here in verse 5 that if you need wisdom to ask, first ask. And that, that word in the Greek ask is uh, what is called a present active imperative and it's implying that something, um, it, it is something we must do consistently and constantly throughout our life. It, it's not a one-off thing. What he's saying, ask God, it's not a one-off. When you become a believer, ask God for wisdom and you'll have it. No. Something we have to do constantly throughout our life is ask God. And also something else to note is that it's in a first class condition which assumes the author is assuming it is the condition of the recipient of the letter. So he is saying that it is safe to say that you all need to ask constantly for wisdom. And so it's, I'm presuming it's fair of me to come here this morning and say, as it was with James, that we all need to constantly ask God for wisdom. And his promise is that he will give it to you. Not knowledge, not just a higher IQ, Otherwise, I wouldn't be a chef. <laughs> but wisdom. I worked with a guy a number of years ago. I'd just finished my apprenticeship. And he wasn't a, he wasn't a chef, but he had this interest in holding onto a piece of paper that said he was a chef. That irks chefs. Um, he did a, uh, a, I think it's a year of, of just study and, and, and not, no, nothing practical, not in the kitchen, um, but understanding food science and, and, and how, how a kitchen operates and management in a kitchen. And before long he had a bit of paper that said he was a chef. But he worked out in the front area of the reception centre and also in the restaurant um, he didn't come into the kitchen. But you know, when it came to taking that knowledge, 
that he had and trying to apply it into a kitchen to cook for 300 at a wedding reception. He, he was lucky to be able to slice an onion properly. You know, God's promise is, is much more than just granting us knowledge of the word of God. When, you, when we ask him, he promises to give wisdom. Wisdom in this context specifically in the ability to not only know the importance of enduring trials but actually to do it and to persevere patiently enduring trials that we would grow and mature as Christians. <coughs> and he goes on in verse 6, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. After we ask, he says, but. It's not merely just asking God will rece- that you will receive. But when you ask, ask in faith, in God alone. A lack of confidence in God's faithfulness produces a lack of consistency in the Christian life. When facing life's toughest hurdles, when dealing with the hardest circumstances, Don't be the person that asks God for wisdom not really expecting anything to happen at all because that's exactly what will happen, nothing. That's what we read. This type of person finds that there is no joy in trials, that there is no wisdom to endure patiently through trials. They find themselves at the mercy of the circumstances themselves. and you will find out that their life reflects no real consistency at all in dependency upon God, of faith in God. Hot and cold, found out when the storms of life come rolling in. Not really the way you would like your faith to be described, is it? How would you describe your faith? How would you describe your faith? If you had a pencil and paper in front of you this morning and I said take a moment just to write down something that describes your faith. We're all at different stages of life. I'm sure there'd be a whole range of answers. Wouldn't you love it to be true to write in God alone? In God alone? Verse 9 Believers who are poor have something to boast about for God has honoured them and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away in the same way the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. I, I love this quote from Tom Robertson, a Bible scholar from the US and he says this about these these verses that the cross lifts up the poor and brings down the high, brings down the rich. It is the great leveller of all men. The cross is a great leveller 
of all men. And James seems to be indicating that there is no distinction when it comes to trials between the rich and the poor. No matter your bank balance or your assets, no matter where you're sleeping tonight, there's no guarantee that you're not going to deal with trials because you've got X amount of whatever it is. In fact, the poor should be glad that these trials are only temporary and there is something much, much greater to look forward to, the riches in heaven. And the rich brother, hold loosely to the things of this earth because what you have comes and goes just like that but not in heaven, not with God's blessings. Verse 12, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. There is both present and future blessings talked about for those who persevere and patiently endure trial and temptation. In heaven there will be a reward of crown of life. Not just eternal life for salvation but here a, a reward for action, for, for deeds, for a life that is lived in loving God and serving him faithfully. And there's a number of places through the New Testament where we read about this, uh, about this rewards in heaven. But also blessings in this life. that if we consider it an opportunity for great joy, trials that is, if we consider it an opportunity for great joy when they come and we ask in faith for wisdom and we patiently endure trials, there is blessings. Blessings that, will, that mean we will grow in our faith and dependency upon God. Blessings that we will experience more and know more about the love of God and the forgiveness and the grace and mercy of God. That these things will make us into Christians who are more dependent upon God and whose lives will display more to others about the character of God and what he has done for us. I'm just going to read the last five verses. And when you are being tempted, do not say, God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires which entice us and drag us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So don't be misled, my dear brothers and sisters. Whatever is good and perfect comes down to us from God our Father who created all the lights in heaven. He never changes or casts a shifting shadow. He chose to give birth to us by giving us his true word and we out of all creation became his prized possession. Rachel and I didn't have to teach um, Mackenzie uh, to lie. Uh, I hate to say it but you know, it's just, it, it comes naturally. 
when she was toilet training, we you'd sort of see a trail of something towards the <laughs> toilet. I only have to look at it and she would say, it wasn't me. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm pretty sure it wasn't me. <laughs> and, you know, mummy's reasonably normal, so I don't think it... <coughs> you know, before God, there is no excuse for sin. No blaming others, no blaming God or the devil. We are responsible. We are responsible. Nowhere in Scripture will you find the devil responsible for the sin that people choose to do. Friends, don't be deceived. Tomorrow morning, maybe even this afternoon, you're going to be confronted with something that you're going to have to go, hang on, I need to make a decision here. Do I fall into sin? Or do I be obedient to what God wants me to do? Do I endure this temptation knowing that God will use it to mature me, to grow, that I would grow in my faith? It's a real challenge, real challenge. I just want to finish with two points. The first is whatever is perfect and good comes from him. I'm not just talking about the, the things that we think are good. We, we, we can sometimes take for granted what we have, yes, and we need to be reminded that God has given us some amazing things. New cars, homes, jobs, family, friends. And it can be easy to give thanks for those things. It can be. But also we need to be reminded and encouraged this morning that in a, in a room of this many people I can just imagine that there are some right now in the midst of just really tough stuff. And there are some that we heard about this morning that have probably just come through some hard circumstances. And if you don't fit into those two categories then there's something just around the corner that you're going to have to deal with. And I think James is telling us that through this life these things God allows to happen and there is something good and perfect to come from these trials that you're facing that if you endure them, if you patiently endure trials, ask for wisdom, depend upon God to carry you through, that when you get to it, the end, get through it, you will see that God has done something good and worked out something perfect in your life. Whatever you're facing this morning, whatever you've faced, whatever you're about to face, God has something good and perfect to work out in you through the circumstances of life. 
And lastly, that you are his prized possession. If you were in a, in a house that was collapsing and you just had a few moments to grab something, I'm sure everyone straight away have just thought of something that comes into your mind that you'd take. Assuming my family's safe and sound, I'd head to the wall. I've got this big Collingwood thing like this big <laughs> and it's 2010 pictures plus. Oh, I, I look at that a, a, a bit... Uh, I'd probably give the cat a kick out, get out the door while I'm going, but the, the, I'll take that before the cat, I think. It's pretty special, there's something special about just contemplating the thought of being God's prized possession. Because very soon, I, I hope, very soon, we'll be taken from this earth into eternity with him as his prized possessions. So know that whatever you're facing, whatever you're dealing with, it's temporary, it's short term. God has a plan for it. God has a purpose for it. And eventually, as his prized possessions, we have eternity with him to look forward to. Shall we pray? Lord, we're reminded in your word to trust in you that we would find new strength and soar like on the wings of eagles. Lord, as we face this week, the rest of this year, we know we need you. Without you, we can do nothing. May we depend upon you more and more each day, trusting in your goodness and your perfect plan that you have for each and every one of us. May it be true of each and every one of us that we would have a desire to grow and mature as your children and trust you more and more. In Jesus' name we pray.